Welcome to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. The crossroads where culture, lifestyle, and community meet. All hosted by the legendary New York radio TV personality and proud Harlem American, G. Keith Alexander. Welcome to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. Wherever you are, I appreciate you for joining us in our neighborhood as we hang out together in Harlem America. Today in the What's Hot Spotlight is Voza Rivers. Voza is an award-winning, Tony and Grammy-nominated producer, the first vice president of the Greater Harlem Chamber of Commerce, and the executive producer and vice chairman of Harlem Week. We just celebrated his 80th birthday, and he will be forever known as Harlem royalty. So it is my distinct honor and pleasure to say Boza Rivers is what's hot. Hello, Boza. Hi, G. Keith. It's a pleasure just uh, being in radio royalty by being on your show. <laughs> well, that's mighty kind of you to say. And, you know, uh, I, I, I am still uh, really uh, hyped up by the celebration that uh, the community gave you on Wednesday, and it, it was a packed house. Uh, uh, Jamal Joseph, who is a, a co-partner with you uh, at the uh, Impact Repertory Theater, uh, produced a wonderful event, and we'll talk about all that later, but how does it feel to be celebrated like that? I am very uh, thankful for my partnership with Jamal Joseph. Uh, Jamal told me that he wanted to celebrate the 80th birthday, and that was it. There was nothing to be said, uh, permission needed, that he was going to make sure that all I had to do was show up, and this is the time I had to be in the place I had to be. And so for me, like so many others who were in attendance, it documented the history of uh, of myself, but not only that, but Harlem's history and culture and the role that our theater play in adding to the cultural landscape of this great community. Well, you certainly are part of uh, the legend of Harlem, uh, and we're going to talk about all of that. And But first, uh, as I always do, I always ask my special guests to uh, take the uh, Wayback Machine. And uh, so let's take the Wayback Machine and, and tell us what it was like growing up as little Voza Rivers. I, um, I grew up where my mother and father were divorced uh, or separated. They wasn't even divorced yet, but uh, uh, separated when I was uh, five years old. And I grew up with my grandparents uh, as opposed to my mother and father, which was unique about where I grew up on 132nd Street in Harlem, was that my mother and my maternal grandmother lived across the street from my grandparents, which was my paternal grandparents. On the, on the, on the uh, north side of the street, it was my uh, southern uh, uh, family. And on the, uh, on the south side of the street, it was my Caribbean family. And so I had wonderful choices because I love 
being with my grandparents and uh, going to school on a regular basis, it really was a, an opportunity for uh, the um, uh, 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 for the southern part to see me in the daytime and for <laughs> the Jamaican side to see me in the evening. I had to vote, uh, you know, the best of both worlds back then, G. Keith. Incredible. And, and you grew up in Harlem. I grew Where? up in Harlem, attended school. So I lived on 132nd Street between Fifth Avenue and now it's called Malcolm X Boulevard. Um, I lived at 10 West. That building doesn't exist any longer. But also on that same block, uh, Congressman Rangel lived there. Uh, uh, on that same block, one block west, there was a Catholic school uh, called St. Aloysius. And uh, I, I attended that Catholic school. Mm-hmm. And I, I only mention Congressman Rangel because we laugh when we talk about uh, things because uh he went to the same nursery school. I attended the same nursery school. We attended the same Catholic school. We attended the same junior high school. And so there's a commonality of just knowing that kind of history with a person like Congressman Rangel, uh, who, of course, is a, a, you know, a decade older than I am. But that, that kind of history is always beautiful to connect. For sure, for sure, for sure. So, um, all right. So you you grew up uh, there, and then uh, and you went to school. And uh, what were some of your your hopes and dreams? What did you want to do then? Well, uh, after high school, which I attended George Washington High School, just moving from Harlem and going to a school that was in the northernmost part of Manhattan just before you get to the Bronx uh, uh, and going from an all blacks junior high school to a predominantly white high school, it was different because most of the people who graduated with me from junior high went to an area uh, uh, school, high for high school. But Mm -hmm. for me, My science teacher told my grandparents that she thought that it would be better if I go to a school outside of the district because where my mother was living, it allowed me to go to another school called George Washington High School that had a great academic record uh, of achievement. Mm -hmm. I, on the other hand, was uh, uh, not happy because I was on the basketball team in junior high school and we won the state championship. And everybody on the team was going to Dewitt Clinton High School in the Bronx. And all of a sudden, I couldn't go because the science teacher uh, talked my grandparents into saying that I should go to another school. I was devastated. When I left uh, junior high school and arrived at George Washington High School, I think I knew five people Mm. in the school of 5,000. Wow. And um, uh, and so that was a culture shock also for me, but it was comfortable. I was comfortable. And lo and behold, based on the curricular activities of 
having the uh, opportunity to be a basketball player. I eventually tried out for the high school team and and uh, uh, was accepted and became the co-captain of the team. Uh, it was a Harlem YMCA on 135th Street where I learned how to swim. So I tried out for the swimming team and I had a very unique stroke called the butterfly stroke. And I began to uh, do the butterfly representing the school. And before I knew it, I started having all of these friends because <laughs> I now became an athlete. And, um, and it was great. It was, it, it was a great opportunity for me to meet new people and new experiences. And at that point in time, I thought about being involved in finance uh, like mm -hmm. a, a CPA or or, or or some sort of a person who could work with numbers. And that was my right. goal. And that, that was your goal. So then how did you get to become a, uh, you, you went to uh, uh, the College of Police Science at the City well, University of New York. Well, what happened is, well, after I graduated from high school, I was working uh, uh, at the library on 42nd Street. Mm -hmm. And um, I received an invitation uh, from the draft board saying that I would be inducted. I was going to be inducted and I, uh, uh, to uh, uh, register because of the need for young people to join the war in Vietnam. And with that notice that I received, I uh, uh, had a friendship with the Honorable Percy Sutton, and I shared with him a dilemma that I was having. And mm -hmm. he said to me that there were certain occupations that would be exempt from going into the war, and that if I had uh, engaged in any of those exempt occupations, of course, I wouldn't have to go to the war because the, 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 the administrations of, of government also required good people to stay in government so that things could happen. And um, the recommendation was that there was an examination in a school on 135th Street called the Harriet Tubman School that mm -hmm. was offering an exam for exempt, uh, 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 exempt uh, professions and that exempt profession was a police department. So I took that exam, uh, did very well on the exam, and was accepted to go into the New York City Police Department as opposed to going to Vietnam. And I did that because Percy Sutton was the borough president of Manhattan, and he said that I will look out for you to make sure that you can you know, successfully uh, uh, honor that commitment as opposed to going to Vietnam. And that's what happened. And lo and behold, uh, uh, I enrolled in the New, the New York City Police Department Academy. Um, and through that process, this uh, 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 school was an independent school run by the police department. However, uh, the, um, the, 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 the entity for all New York City schools decided 
uh, colleges decided that the police academy should become part of the City University of New York, along with John, wow. uh, along with the other schools, uh, Lehman College, uh, uh, Brooklyn College, etc. And it became the college, the College of Police Science then became uh, uh, the, um, oh God, that's that's what happens, Keith, sometimes, you know. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I attended John Jay College of Criminal Justice. That was a transfer. So mm-hmm, the College mm-hmm. of Police Science became John Jay College of Criminal Justice, and I started taking part-time courses. And little did I know that in the police and the John Jay College uh, and and the police department, they had sports. And so uh, for the police academy, I participated in the police Olympics every year that was held. Oh, really? Yeah, it was held in uh, Montreal and Mm -hmm. I played basketball and I swam. In the police Olympics every year, for John Jay College of Criminal Justice, uh, uh, now that they were part of the City University of New York, I tried out for the basketball team and I became the co-captain of the basketball team. (laughs) So I led a very charmed existence in the police department because of the extracurricular activities that I was engaged in. I see. But but now, okay, so, all right, so you were a police officer, but you were playing all these different sports and things. Uh, but did you do undercover work, too? I was a detective. They made, they made me a detective right away. About, I say right away, after three years, they made me a detective. So I did investigation work. But one of the things that I was assigned to was working with a guy named Jack Maple, and um, oh, yeah. and we worked on uh, uh, a a system called Comstat. Very, That's what it later became. And yes, and so I was part of that team that uh, worked on uh, 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 getting statistical information on where uh, patterns of where crime would happen, the hours uh, of it, the types and making that information available to the hierarchy on a daily basis. And, and that was a, and a, another kind of assignment that I had while I was in the police department. Little did I know it would be called Comstat, and it would be used as a vehicle for police departments all across America. That's right. And they even did a, there was once a TV show about this guy, I uh, forget the name of the show, but it, it was all about him and Comstat, and oh, the, it was, I think it was the commissioner or something. And, and yeah, the commissioner yeah. had had then there was a Jack Maple type guy. That's, there that's Jack. Talk. That was my guy, Jack Maple. I was a part of that team with Jack Maple. Incredible! Wow, Bosa had no idea that you uh, had such a, uh, a, a, a rich and a varied uh, uh, career. So, all right. So after the police department. Or during the police department, uh, how'd you get involved in, in entertainment? Well, I um very interesting. So now you're talking about 1964. That's when I uh, uh, joined the police department. Mm-hmm. 
prior to me getting the notice of being inducted into uh, the war, I attended a public speaking class that was done at a local YMCA branch in Harlem. Uh, and the uh, course that I wanted to take was a one-day course on public speaking. And I did that because I wanted to be able to be articulate around what was happening in the South with the school boycotts, the assassination uh, attempts on civil rights leaders. And uh, there was a, uh, um, a riot that took place in Harlem uh, uh, a year earlier. And I said that if I'm in Harlem and someone came up to me and asked me what did I think about all of the things that was happening, I didn't feel comfortable that I was articulate enough to really be succinct about how I felt about this. And there was a time of Martin Luther King and you would hear these great orators uh, 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 speak, uh, uh, Malcolm X. And so I decided, D. Keith, I should have taken one of your courses. That I would go in and listen to a person who was a guest speaker. His name was Roger Furman. And oh, it was at a satellite yeah. program within the YMCA. And he was talking about his life as a teacher of the arts at the new school that at a library on 135th Street called 135th Street Library. He was a member of the American Negro Theater and part of his group when they were uh, in their late teens, early 20s, was Ozzie Davis and Ruby Dee and Harry Belafonte and Sidney Portier. And all of a sudden, I was being baptized in the history of Black theater by this wonderful uh, 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 presentation by Roger Furman. And at the end of the presentation, he mentioned that he was starting his own theater company based on the model of the American Negro Theater that was founded in that library in 1940. Now this is 24 years later. May I say that we're gonna, uh, we have to leave it there for a moment. We have to take a quick break. But we'll be right back, and we want you to continue with this wonderful story. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here uh, with uh, Mr. Voza Rivers, uh, and uh, we want to, to come back to listen to the rest of this wonderful story. This is What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. Don't go away. Have you ever thought about hosting your own radio podcast to establish fame, fortune, and followers for your small business? People listen to them, they subscribe to them, and they love them. As a small black business owner, doesn't that sound like something you'd like to be a part of? Well, you can when you hire the radio podcast pros at Harlem America Digital Network. Imagine, you'll have a team of creative and technical professionals at your disposal and a one-hour weekly radio podcast to spread the word about your business. Making your business successful with its own media is not not for the faint of heart, but it can happen with a Harlem America radio podcast talk show. Get a free consultation by emailing gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com or call D. Daniels at 480-553-5741 today. 
listening to Harlem America. I love it a lot. For entertainment. Check it out. Check it out. Empowerment and health and wellness. Harlem America. The home of Glasso Smart Water is Harlem America. Harlem America. Where Coca-Cola is helping you enjoy less sugar. You're listening to Harlem America. Talking to the world from the heart and soul of New York. You're listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. To reach our show live today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Also, you can send an email to gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com. Now, back to the show. Well, thank you so very much, Kevra, and I uh, want to wish everyone a happy Kwanzaa. Uh, we are uh, here with... Uh, Mr. Voza Rivers, and uh, Voza is telling us the story of how he got into uh, entertainment, and uh, Voza, please continue. I, um, I attended the lecture series, and after the lecture was over, Roger Furman mentioned that he was going to start his own theater company, and that he was looking for young people who might want to uh, consider being a part of this new entity uh, called New Heritage Repertory Theater that he was going to start. I was not enthusiastic at all around stepping (laughs) up and saying that I wanted to be in the theater because I never considered myself an actor. I went specifically to that lecture to just help me articulate my thoughts uh, in a logical way. And he uh, challenged me and said, well, theater can do all of that. Did you know that Sidney Poitier was a stutterer, that he uh, tried out three times before he became accepted into the American Negro Theater? I did not know that. And uh, as he was talking about the various uh, people, uh, one of the things that was real clear to me was that that group of actors that he mentioned, not only were they part of a theatrical family, but they were also activists. And here I am not making that connection initially. I wanted to enhance my presentation uh, 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 on an individual personal level. And yet uh, when I think about those names, I not only see great theatrical personalities, I also saw the the activism role that they played in our history. So I did not join the theater company. I said that I would volunteer to help him out because I had other things on my plate. Um, And he accepted that. I became a volunteer. I was the chauffeur, I was the maintenance person, I was the box office person, I was the greeter when you came in, I took your tickets. And I loved doing it because I was exposed to all the rehearsals and on the actors. And so it was great for me as a volunteer. 
uh, Roger and I became closer. He was a brilliant director and playwright and set designer. He taught me how to focus lights, uh, how to paint sets, uh, you know, uh, uh, to... He he just exposed me to a lot just being with him. And because he didn't drive and I had a car, I would take him all the different places. I did that for six years as a volunteer. Mm -hmm. And Rogers said to me on that six-year Voza, I want to really concentrate more on the artistic. You have a great capacity for uh, multitasker. And I would love for you to be responsible for the business aspects of the theater. And I said, that would be fine. And I became the business manager. I became uh, the publicist. I became all <laughs> of these different things because now he just gave it to me to say, you, you're in charge. He died uh, later on uh, uh, he died in 1984, and the board mm -hmm. of directors were at a standstill on who would be able to continue to work. I knew that I was not that person because I started as a volunteer, and I thought that the directors and playwrights were better candidates to run a theater. But the board said, no, Roger chose you, Moza, and <laughs> we worked with you, and we would like you to assume the leadership of the theater. I was still hesitant until Ozzie Davis and Ruby D came on board and said, Voza, Roger loved you. Roger selected you. And we're telling you that we're here for you. If you have any trepidations about anything around theater, we're here for you and we're going to support you. And with that endorsement, I moved forward with taking over that theater company, which now is celebrating its 58th year as the oldest Black nonprofit theater in New York State. Incredible. What a story. What a story. Now, are you still involved? Uh, yeah, I run the theater. and uh, But I did more than that also because... While I was in the police department, there were guys that I grew up with who uh, I thought that maybe we could have a law firm together. And um, they went on to law school while I was still in the police department. And, uh, and then I took an exam for law school. And although I was accepted, it took me six years to get an undergraduate degree because of all of the things that I was doing. I was only taking <laughs> six credits. And now I got accepted for an opportunity to go to law school. And I said, uh -uh, I can't do four more years of going to school. <laughs> so I created a concept. And the concept was because my young, uh, my, 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 my former uh, guys that I grew up with had now graduated from law school, that we could start an entertainment firm. And we created a firm called New York Entertainment and Sports Advisors. Uh, Bill Covington, mm. Craig Foster, uh, Benet McMillan. Benet uh, had an MBA. He was an attorney and he had a master's in, uh, 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 in accounting. And so we created a firm called New York Entertainment and Sports Advisors. We did contract negotiations, financial planning, taxes and legal work for athletes and entertainers. 
and they made me president of the company because I had clients from the entertainment industry that they didn't because they just got out of law school. And we operated out of the Lincoln Building on 42nd Street. The firm existed for 15 years, and I was doing all of that, running the theater company. Uh, 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 also, I had a clothing business with Lloyd Williams on 13th Street called Fibonacci. Really? Yeah. Uh, 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 when I was in grad school, uh, I, I heard uh, about a, uh, a mathematician named Fibonacci, and Fibonacci mm -hmm. was a... Uh, a master mathematician who came up with a concept that if you put two integers together, you come up with a new number. And it was always fascinating to hear that name, Fibonacci. So when Lloyd uh, opened up his business on 13th Street, I decided that I would go with him and become like a pop-up store. And that store was called Fibonacci. We were on 13th Street between <laughs> 6th Avenue. And so for many years, I was selling clothes. Really? Uh, with that connection and that even drew me closer to Percy Sutton because he used to buy the ties and the shirts for me and I was a wholesaler and I would go <laughs> sell to the police department or the teachers union and eventually I had another store that was on 35th Street between 5th and 6th Avenue um, and I had that all of that while I was in the police department running the theater and doing all of these other things that I was Boy, he, it was crazy. With my company, New York Entertainment and Sports Advisors, the first client we got was Count Basie and his orchestra. Yeah, the second so. client we had was Ben Harney, who had just won the Tony Award for right. Best Actor in a Musical, which was called Dreamgirls. Right. Them. And then we had Living Color, the rock band that was opening up for the Rolling Stones. We were the business managers for all of these people. Wow. And so, again, I uh, was doing all that in the partnership with Percy Sutton. And then comes in the hit Broadway play that we did called Sarafina with Lincoln Center. And nice uh, Sarafina was on Broadway for two years. I was one of the producers. Uh, I brought that show to Harlem so that the community would get a sense of meeting these South African actors. Uh, uh, we And that was the second show. The first show was called Asinamalia Zulu Word for We Have No Money. Harry Belafonte came up to our small theater in Harlem and saw it. He mm -hmm. Paul Simon, uh, Mary McCaber, and that show went to Broadway also. So It was nominated for, for a Tony, a Tony Award. And nominated for a Tony. And then the next one was Serafina, which was nominated for five Tonys. And, uh, and the rest is history, and that was 35 years ago. Incredible. Uh, gee, you know, uh, as long as I've known you, Bill, I've only known some of your uh, history, but you've taken me way back on the Wayback Machine, and now uh, it's, it's all coming together for me. So, all right, uh, how did you meet Lloyd Williams? We Lloyd Williams, for, for folks who don't know, Lloyd Williams is the president of the Greater Harlem Chamber of Commerce, which has a, 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 a 125 year history here in uh, Harlem. And uh, it, it is without saying the preeminent uh, institution here in Harlem. 
Lloyd and I were Boy Scouts together at St. Martin's Church. <laughs> I was a Boy so, Scout once. So you can imagine, you know what age of the Boy Scouts are. And then we went to church together. Um, and it was through that relationship over the years as kids, you know, and being involved. But what happened is that with all of its activity, I would invite Lloyd to see what I was doing in theater. And during that period, uh, and, and the relationship with Percy Sutton was solid. Percy Sutton was a mentor to Lloyd, a mentor to me. And uh, uh, it was 1974 that we really decided to work together because of the high drug traffic uh, uh, that was uh, permeating all throughout Harlem in communities of color. And people were leaving uh, Harlem, going to other uh, uh, locations. And the, folk, the few of us who stayed said we need to do something. So with, under the leadership of Percy Sutton, we all got together and we created a one-day event to celebrate those individuals who stayed in Harlem. And, and that was um, not only uh, 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 Percy Sutton, Lloyd, and I, but we brought in another group of people called Blackfrica, which was a cultural organization uh, that Lloyd, Marvin Kelly, uh, uh, and others have co-founded. And we used to take trips to the Caribbean, take trips together to uh, Europe. And it was that experience of seeing how other people lived in other uh, countries that we felt it would be great if we could do something in Harlem. So 1974, we created something called Harlem Day, a one-day celebration for those people who remained in Harlem during the height of, of, of all of the challenges of, of, of infestation of drug addiction at its highest level. It was, you know, crack cocaine back then. And we were fortunate enough that that one-day event became a two-day, uh, that became Harlem Week. So that's what we're celebrating now, 50, 48 years later, is the celebration of Harlem Week that morphed, uh, Harlem Day that morphed into Harlem Week that morphed into a month of, of activity. And so Lloyd and I, uh, uh, still working together, he is president and me as the vice president of the Greater Harlem Chamber of Commerce and me heading up the arts and culture oh, yeah. meeting, et cetera. Well, you know, um, you guys make a great uh, team working together and you've got a great team, uh, you know, Marco and, and Winston and Deitra and, and, and all the wonderful folks that work with you. Uh, it's amazing how uh, you guys have kept this running for so, so, so long. So now, another thing I want to talk to you about is you got involved with the Apollo Theater. Tell us about that, the world-famous Apollo Theater under the uh, the leadership of uh, Percy Sutton. Uh, well, again, uh, earlier I had mentioned the relationship with the record label and the management company. And uh, and and G. Keith, you had mentioned that you used to see all these Japanese visitors coming to the Apollo Theater. 
and the person responsible for bringing those groups was Mr. Katsabe. And on Wednesday evenings, that's when he would bring the Japanese to see Amateur Night at the Apollo. And he would stand in the back of the theater and I would stand in the back because I was there looking at the talent and I might have to get up at any time if I had a seat. So I would stand up and if a person was winning, I would run backstage and, and try and sign them. So we, Mr. Abe, uh, we would be in the theater and we would actually see 30 or 50 Japanese people coming into the theater, walking down the aisle and taking their seats up front. And it was because of this little Japanese guy who was all of five feet, two inches, uh, you know, with all of these Japanese people. And he talked about the love that he had for black culture. And it was through that relationship that he shared with me that, 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 that there were people in his country that wanted to do more because at, during World War II, a lot of soldiers after that war went to Japan and they brought the music, the jazz music to Japan. And that uh, uh, there was uh, in an, an, an inquiry around creating an Apollo vibe in Japan by having an Apollo theater built in Japan. Percy Sutton and the inner city people thought that it was a pipe dream. Mr. Abe was very serious that he had serious money to do it. Uh, I would constantly remind Mr. Sutton that this was a real opportunity and he would remind me that he was not interested. <laughs> that that was possible and I guess with my nagging uh, uh, intermittently at some point he says well Voza uh, maybe we could do a licensing deal and I said thank you and I went back with Mr. Abe and we were able to create a uh, uh, a licensing deal where the Japanese could license the Apollo Theater brand to build an Apollo Theater in Yokohama, which is a half an hour, uh, uh, a half an hour uh, outside of Tokyo. Beautiful location, well, beautiful state-of-the-art theater, and I was fortunate enough to see the building of that space and to become one of the producers of content uh, for the Apollo Theater in Japan. Okay, so let's let, let's take a short break, and I, when we come back, I want you to describe this uh, new theater. Like you, uh, you know, you you had mentioned to me once before the uh, the construction of the theater, uh, and I thought it was fantastic. So, ladies and gentlemen, remember to go to HarlemAmerica.com to be able to uh, see some of our uh, TV shows. We've got uh, wonderful TV shows. For our special guests, uh, once they do a show here with us, we take the show into uh, post-production and we add graphics and things. But also, you can also, uh, on demand, listen to some of our audio uh, from some of these shows as well. So, and we've got great articles there at HarlemAmerica.com. Please come back. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Mr. Voza Rivers of the uh, Greater Harlem Chamber of Commerce, of the Impact the Repertory Theater, and of New Heritage. Don't go away.
you ever thought about hosting your own radio podcast to establish fame, fortune, and followers for your small business? People listen to them, they subscribe to them, and they love them. As a small black business owner, doesn't that sound like something that you'd like to be a part of? Well, you can when you hire the radio podcast pros at Harlem America Digital Network. Imagine, you'll have a team of creative and technical professionals at your disposal and a one-hour weekly radio podcast to spread the word about your business. Making your business successful with its own media is not for the faint at heart, but it can happen with a Harlem America radio podcast talk show. Get a free consultation by emailing gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com or call D. Daniels at 480-553-5741 today. Harlem America. It's about Harlem. Harlem is my town. Carver Bank, where 80% of every dollar is reinvested in the community. Harlem America, the home of Coca-Cola Zero. You're listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. To reach our show live today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Also, you can send an email to gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com. Now, back to the show. Well, our Harlem America team, we are... Uh planning some wonderful things coming up for you in 2023. So thank you for uh, hanging out with us. We uh, appreciate you. And and uh, we've got a lot of things in store that I think you're going to like. In the meantime, right now, uh, Mr. Vilza Rivers, who is uh, part of uh, Harlem's royalty, is here with us. And Vilza, uh, please continue on. You, now, you talked about the Apollo Theater in Japan. And these folks constructed this this entire facility. Tell us what it looked like. So one of the nice things was we were able to use the logo, the branding of the Apollo Theater. And um, it had a wonderful, beautiful lobby. And then you went into this state-of-the-art theater. And what was interesting is the technology and the advancement of how to present in places that were new. And the Japanese were way ahead with technology. So we walk into this beautiful theater, perhaps the attendance uh, uh, down uh, in, the, in the orchestra was five to 700 people. And right in front of you, as you come down the aisle, there's the stage, beautiful stage. There's a production. Next week you decide to come and the stage is not in front of you, it's on the left side of the facility. Mm. And the seats are faced in that direction. Come another time, it's on the right side, <laughs> depending <laughs> on what they wanted to produce. But what was interesting is that after each performance, there was like an opportunity to network or dance or to uh, just have a, 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 a free space all the seats in the theater would go down into the floor and the floor would cover itself up again. So now you have all this vacant space to do other kinds of things. And I've never seen think, uh, anything like that before or that the seats could move the, around. And it was an amazing 
uh, uh, experience every time I went into that theater to see how creative uh, the Japanese were. And so, of course, all the lighting, pictures, and sound was also mobile in ways that I had not seen that kind of technology in the United States. And it was just a beautiful six years at the that the space was in existence and me and Mr. Abe going back uh, each year to produce a special amateur night show. Uh, 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 and it was great. I mentioned earlier to you, Keith, that one, one of the things, there are two things that happen. If the Japanese love what you do, they shake their heads, but they do not show emotion but they are filled up with enthusiasm and support. So one of the things that we said that had to happen was that when these artists are performing and they're competing, you have to let the artists know that you love them or that they are going to be taking off the stage. That was a whole new concept. They did not understand that. So what we had to do <laughs> is to show a film after at each of the performances of amateur how they should act. And mm. we taught them how to cheer and jeer and boo uh, <laughs> if they didn't like what they saw. And it was amazing because for them, they never did anything like that. They were always very polite. And that was something, you're talking about a game changer coming from Harlem, going to another country, knowing you in the Apollo Theater and everybody's sitting like they're at a tea recital and yet they're enjoying themselves. That was really something. And, uh, and, I, and, and it just reminded me that that was also very unique to the Japanese culture. Incredible. Wow. Okay, so now uh, let us talk about your partnership with playwright, author, director, and educator, Jamal Joseph. Right. Let's talk about that. So, you know, G. Keith, everything is connected. And what, what I mean by that is that I uh, uh, had success with a Broadway show. Mm -hmm. Opening night of the Broadway show, you meet a lot of celebrities. One celebrity that I just met, just to shake his hand, was Charles Dutton. Charles Dutton oh, yes. was in a lot of uh, August Wilson's plays, a great actor. Jamal Joseph, who did nine years in Leavenworth Prison as a member of the Panther 21 trial, while he was incarcerated as a very young prisoner, decided that, not he decided, but it was recommended that uh, for him to be protected, that he needed to create something around the prisoners that he is okay. And mm -hmm. he created a theater company with the prisoners. And so you had the the, the Mexican mafia, you had the, the skinheads here, you had uh, the Muslims here, all these different uh, organiz uh, groups of prisoners where if you, uh, when you had your recreation period and all the prisoners are in the yard, it was, you could not go outside of your territory. Uh -huh. But because what Jamal did with the year, 
he was able to invite all of them to be a part of his theater company. So it was a very smart guy. And Jamal then decided to get all of his degrees, do his master's degree mm -hmm. while he was in prison. Jamal was released from prison and he comes out looking for a man by the name of Charles Dutton that he had written, had written, I'm not written, but had read about because Charles Dutton was incarcerated for manslaughter in his time in prison came out and was admitted to Yale University School of Acting and became this great actor. So Jamal coming out of prison said, if that guy can do it, I can do it. And he went on a search to find Charles Dutton. Charles, Charles Dutton, Dutton starred in the, the TV show called Rock. You got it, Rock know. here. So yeah. Jamal and his wife, Joyce, saw that Charles Dutton was performing in an off-Broadway play. And they went to see the play. And when it was over, they went to the stage, the stage door to see uh, if they could meet Charles Dutton in person. They met Charles Dutton. He came out. Jamal had under his arm all of these scripts that he had written that he wanted to share with Charles Dutton. And he told him his story about being a prisoner and da da da, -da and just coming out of prison. And Charles Dutton uh, said, hey, man, listen, uh, uh, what, so what has happened uh, since you've been out? Jamal I've been to all of these theater companies and producers and writers, and everybody says that I can write, but I have too many characters in my plays. And so Charles Dutton says, well, let me let me read something that you've written and he took it home and he calls back and he says man you really can write but they're right you got 20 and 30 characters in your place <laughs> he said well i had to do it because i needed to put all of these guys in the different uh, uh communities in my play because they protected me from being victimized while i was in prison so charles doesn't say but listen I saw a play the other day. I was there opening night. And there was a brother that I saw who lives in Harlem. And the play was called Serafina. And they had 35 actors in the play. So maybe <laughs> I could introduce you to this guy. And maybe he would like to see your work. And maybe he'll do one of your plays. I didn't know Charles Dunn. I only met him once. I got mm -hmm. that call. And he's talking about this actor, I mean, this writer named Jamal Joseph. And I had my firm on 42nd Street, New York Entertainment and Sports Advisors, where I had all of these other clients. And I said, you know what, Charles? I would love to meet this young man. And here comes Jamal to meet me. And I met Jamal. And he's enthusiastic about the work that he had done in prison and with all of his degrees, to his master's degree, and I was very impressed. So he shows me the script of plays, and I said, wait a minute, Jamal, I'm going, I want to work with you, but I need to have a moment, some time to review what you've done. He says, well, what play is it that you are very interested in? He says, oh, I got this play. It's called 30 Days in the Wake Up. I said, fine. I said, this is what I want to do. I want to option that play that you are really strong on 
and I would like to have the opportunity to produce it at a later date. He says, that means you're going to do my play. I says, no, it gives me an option. I reached in my desk, took out my checkbook, and wrote Jamal a check for $500. And Jamal thought that it was like $5,000 because he had just come out of prison. And for the first time, someone validated him and he felt that he could make a living as a playwright. And that right. <laughs> because a year later, through our friend Ellis Hazlett, yep, I was able... To take to tell to 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 take Jamal's work to Ellis. Ellis was uh, at the Schomburg at that time, uh, being a producer in residence at the Schomburg, and I got Charles Dutton to agree to be in the production of Jamal's play a year later, and I produced it at the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture with. Ellis has been one of the producers with me, along with Charles Dutton, the star of the play. What a and great story. And history. And from that moment on, Jamal and I were joined at the hip, and we both wanted to work with young people, and we created Impact Repertory Theater uh, as part of the New Herded Theater because we both wanted to speak to young people and hear their voices. That, that, that is a beautiful story, which now leads us to, because we've only got about two minutes left, uh, tonight you're going to be honored at the world-famous Apollo Theater. Tell us about that. Well, uh, each year the Apollo does Kwanzaa, and fortunate for me over the last two years, and not for a lot of my, my supporters, I do Kwanzaa also at the American Museum of Natural History where 30,000, 40,000 people come out. But because of COVID, it hasn't happened. And um, I received a call from the Apollo Theater, Ade Williams, which was, happens to be Lloyd Williams' son. Uh, and he says, Boza, we're doing Kwanzaa, and we are going to honor a family. And you've been selected as the family that we want to honor uh, as part of NIA on the 30th. Uh, of, of, of December. And so we would like to do that on the stage of the Apollo. And today is that day. So I will be at the Apollo Theater this evening as part of the Kwanzaa presentation. Moza, unfortunately, we've run out of time. Man, and so much more that we want to find out about you. But brother, thank you so very, very much for taking the time to honor us today. Uh, you are certainly a Harlem legend, part of Harlem's royalty, and uh, we, we, we honor you and happy birthday again on your 80th birthday. Uh, and I tell you, if I can do anything for you, you, you let me know. All right. Thank you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very, very much uh, for listening uh, to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander and watching, of course, because you'll see it on our TV show. Uh, TV station. But I do want to say to you, I wish you for the new year, excellent health, massive wealth, passionate love, and uncontrollable happiness. See you next Friday. Have a great day and a better one tomorrow. Bye. Mm -hmm. 
Thanks for listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. We'll be back next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. in New York on the Voice America Variety Channel and the Harlem America Digital Network. Thank you for listening. Oh, oh, oh.